0: Yeah, speaking of early 90s nostalgia, here we are. I know, right, right Who'd back
1: into it. Where is the Nirvana drop? The movie I've never
0: uh, Yeah, that's what we need some needle drops. Right. I'll get the, I'll get on that licensing right away. Yeah, would you I'll please? call the lawyer.
1: You know, it, it's funny like in terms of like how you make a 90s movie now as opposed to a 90s movie made in the 90s, the 90s movies don't look like the 90s at all for the most part, Have you noticed this. I, hmm. just, I mean I,
0: mm-hmm. I, I mean outside of music and you know pop culture, I don't I mean a distinct 90s style it kind of just looks a lot like the late 80s
2: uh, the 90s didn't look like the 90s until what, 96 probably scream i'm trying to think of like what are like the first I mean jawbreaker if that movie looks like the 90s mm-hmm. i mean
0: the grunge stuff you yeah know, sure like, the music videos look yeah, like the yeah. 90s reality
1: bites looks like the 90s yeah, yeah. sure. But, yeah. Okay. but i
0: mean the fun th- you know i recently watched the fear street 94 mm-hmm. uh, you know and then obviously with captain marvel but it's funny that the 90s things we have to go to are like Radio Shack, Blockbuster, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. needle drops. Like right. there's not like a discernible style or, you know, furniture, you know, home set design that we can really go to.
2: Yeah, it's it's grunge stuff, and it's like spillover from late '80s hip hop fashion. It's right, pretty yeah, pretty yeah. yeah, yeah. There's
0: day glow. You know, Adidas are a thing. But and kind of that cycle of fashion, I think, starts to come back through in the '90s as well. Totally. It's yeah, a,
2: yeah, it, it's. A, a
0: weird look to really like the first half of movies in that decade
1: for sure yeah so hello everybody welcome again to the good trash honor cast we are indeed talking about a movie from the 1990s 1992 yep. <laughs> sneakers um starring robert redford directed by a dude um i forget who his name uh, the dude who directed the sum of all fears no that dude. you were talking about last week right that dude <laughs> yeah. um and so we'll be talking about that but i'm still
0: dustin i'm still arthur i'm still dalton
1: And we are glad to be here with you all. Now, in case you are wondering, dear listener, this is an analysis show, not a review show, and that does mean we're going to spoil Sneakers, and we're going to find out whether or not Robert Redford will indeed jump off the cliff with Ben Kingsley
2: at the end of the film. That's right. We're going to spoil a movie that's over 20 years old, uh, almost 30 years old, that you've probably never heard of. Right. Uh, But we won't do
1: it right away. We'll do a synopsis, spoiler-free. We'll do uh, thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. Spoiler, very gentle. And then we'll move into a little thought exercise called expanding the syllabus which might involve the mildest of spoilers but mostly probably spoilers of movies around this movie rather than itself and then finally we'll get down to business with some music to let you know and that's when all spoiler bets are off so there you go dear listener you've been warned Arthur
0: do you have a synopsis there for us? Martin Bishop runs a service dedicated to finding flaws in corporate security systems and protocols when the NSA approaches him to recover a black box device from a mathematician Martin has his doubts but the money talks him into it but getting his hands on the device puts his team in danger and forces him to face ghosts from his past he thought long laid to rest.
2: Ooh. And not the kind of ghosts that usually come with Dan Aykroyd. Not no. Patrick Swayze. <sighs> Unfortunately. Oh, oh, man. Wow. Oh, this movie There's could use a- Swayze. Holy shit. This movie needs a Swayze it so does bad. Need a Swayze. Well, River Phoenix oh. is
1: kind of a no.
2: yeah, pretty is boy a role. way older than him at yeah, that he point. Yeah. yeah. I don't know who he'd replace with Swayze. He'd have to just add him in as in? the muscle. I don't yeah. know. He doesn't. I guess he doesn't fit here. Too yeah. bad. Maybe he's one of the be- he's one of the heavies, and he's too big. By the time this movie comes right, out, right?
1: Yeah. Instead of Danny King Cannon, we have Patrick Swayze. But <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> anyhow, yeah. It, I, I tell you what. I
1: watched this movie when I was a kid. Okay. And I have to say, I fantasized about this
2: job a lot.
0: Yeah, a professional heist. Yeah, like I, I, yeah, that makes sense. I, I, yeah. I get to
1: break into <laughs> yeah. places for like it's the dream. It's yeah. like it's like. And it's legal, and I get paid, you know? That's a perfect job, Yeah, that's the
2: plot of Catch Me If You Can. Uh, Fuck over the government for as long as you possibly can, and when they catch you, teach them how to catch people that did it already. Right. Uh, It's it's what movie, I think that's what Black Hat is about, the Michael Mann movie? yeah, yeah. There's probably, I think, Hack, no, I guess Hackers is kind of about that. There's probably a lot, Swordfish is definitely about that. There's a lot of movies about getting caught stealing from the government, and then end up working from them. Oh, God, yeah, Ant-Man, of course. Right. Wow. A lot of Similar movies. Yeah. Look, this is a this is a well well trodden uh storyline. Uh, is this the first one to do it? Uh, pfft, I, doubt, I don't know. I doubt it. It's weird though that this movie like exists in a space of like a type of security of inf- infosec that just doesn't exist anymore, right? Like phone freaking's not a thing anymore, and that's a pretty big part of the storyline. Like a lot of like proto internet hacking mm-hmm. stuff, uh, which is fun. Like if you're into like this this kind of weird bygone era. Uh, that was just like a moment in technological history. There's, this is kind of fun. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a weird oddity. You're, sure. if, you're, if
1: you dig on some mainframe, this is probably up there for you. You know, something like that. But anyhow, um, let's go ahead and begin with some reviews. I'm going to shoot to you first, Arthur. What do you think of sneakers?
0: Man, I tell you what. We'll talk about an ensemble. Talk, talk mm-hmm. about an onslaught. This is a murderer's row. Robert Redford, Ben Kingsley, Sidney Poitier. Mm. Sidney Poitier yep. mm-hmm. made it onto the Good Trash Genre cast. Mr. Tibbs himself.
1: Not finally, yeah.
2: Finally, because look, how many Sidney Poitier movies are there that you wouldn't talk about in a it film studies. studies course?
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, God, he, he's great. I love his voice. I I, I don't know. I, I think he has a great speaking voice. Oh, yeah. I, I love him. Uh, David here, Dan Aykroyd, River Phoenix, uh, Mary McDonald, Stephen Topolowski. The- Fucking space president herself,
2: Mary McDonald, baby. James
0: Earl Jones, Donald Logue. I mean it's oh, incredible. Don- Gunther. Do you, when Gunther Donald
1: Oh, oh Gunther. When, when
0: Donald <laughs> Loke shows up. I about lost my mind. Are
2: you kidding me? Uh, it's his first uh, theatrical release Is film it? as far cool. as I yeah. was able to find. That's yeah. really
0: cool. Uh I, I love this cast, and, and that cast really drives his movie. Uh the tone, the 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 way it works and, and the way it all comes together. Uh I love it. I, I feel like it's really predicting and, and Maybe influencing somewhat Soderbergh's tone for the Oceans remake. It, it, that first half of this movie feels like Oceans. The 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 the, um, the kind of joyfulness of it, the uh, playfulness Quiffy. of it, the charm, uh, mm. and a lot of that charm is because of Robert Redford and, and Poitiers, I think to an extent, uh, but there's a certain charm to to that first half of this movie as as it is kind of a heist film, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so. It also navigates that shift in tone well because this this has that kind of Hitchcock style of thing of having like a two film structure. It really feels like that first hour is a heist movie. Mm-hmm. And then it shifts into this man on the run thriller. Yeah. And it navigates that well. And the cast navigates it well. And the script navigates that well. I think it's got a great score from James Horner. Uh, it's got a timeless look. Um, I think we mentioned off air, uh, how it looks kind of like a 70s piece. Yeah. Uh, but it also has this kind of, very timeless nature to the look and the messaging outside of that outdated tech. This could have come out 20 years earlier and it could have come out 20 years later and it would have landed just as well. I right. think um, I, I really, really dug it. Um, this was a movie I hadn't really heard of until probably a couple of years ago. I saw Priscilla page, uh, film critic talking about it quite a bit that, make, I, that makes sense this, the, seems like this is her yeah. wheelhouse and yeah. this actually just got a release I don't know if it's American release or not but uh, where she provided a commentary for it Whoa. Uh, and so I think it's one near near and dear to her heart so she kind of speaks highly of it so that's where it kind of got on my radar so uh, I was kind of looking for a spot to put it on. I thought this would be as good a time as any, uh, and I'm glad we did, because this is the kind of movie I really like, finding these kind of, yeah. not really a, I mean, now I'd say it's kind of a hidden gem, but it wasn't when it came out and made $100 million on right. a $20 million budget. I mean, this was a big it, movie. It's weird. When you look at box office receipts, it's weird how many of those there are are. Well, it's like that... Michael, right? Yeah. When we talked about yeah. Michael, which probably nobody has heard of now. I mean, we kind mm-hmm. of all knew it because of when it came out, but. Did Gamebusters at the yeah. at the box office? Hundred
2: mil, no cultural impact
0: whatsoever. Yeah, and yeah. The Sneakers kind of feels like it's in that same vein, and and that's really interesting to me when movies are in that area area and uh, space. And and so I'm glad we caught up with Sneakers. I really dug it. Um, yeah, I I I, I if i nitpick, I feel maybe a little long um, with some of the pacing, but I mean that would be very minor. quibble with this, I I really dig it.
1: All right, very good, very good. Well, what do you say, Dalton? Do you like Sneakers?
2: High tops or low tops. I am gonna to have to quibble with Arthur a little bit. Was I don't it like it. God, I hate the title of this movie. I really don't like the title of this movie. And it's not their fault, like right. Like it's another term for hackers that's just not around anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh it's just it, it's an anach- a now anachronistic term. It's just it doesn't work. It wasn't like a well known enough term at the time i don't know why they didn't what year did hackers with angelina jolie come out like 94 like 94 95 they should have yeah. just called this movie hack. i guess there's computer hacking like wasn't in vogue enough yet
0: or encrypted or encrypted would be good yeah something like that It needs black some, box
2: it needs some it's black box the movie should yeah. be called black box it needs a snappier title but i agree like i love the sort of jaunty energy like yeah it's it's funny without being like it's quippy it's 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 a smile movie not a laugh movie i really like the first half of this movie and i think the second half is just so sweaty it, it the plotting of this second half of the, this movie is uh, is a sweaty toothed madman it has no idea what it's doing from one moment to the next unfortunately i uh i like things about it don't get me wrong like i like the reveal i, I guess of the main antagonist i love that whole sequence i think it's incredible i think the production design of the the sort of main space mm-hmm. that the the end of the film plays out and i think is great i think the production design of like their office is great uh i love dan Aykroyd getting to just play dan Aykroyd. great getting to be a conspiracy guy i don't know do you guys know about this dan Aykroyd, oh, yeah, oh yeah he's a conspiracy that yeah, yeah i figured you yeah. did yeah uh, i wasn't sure about dustin yeah i, the I love aliens it. guy and oh yeah. aliens government secrets yeah. he loves it all yeah. uh yeah i love that he gets to be that guy that's great it's kind of a weird just himself. Yeah. it's one of his late in his kind of his film career i don't know he's What's he got? He got
0: 92. Has nothing but trouble come out yet? This is what? Eight years after Ghostbusters.
2: Yeah. Something like that. I don't, right it now. feels like go- nothing Gro- but
0: trouble is like what? 89. right? Oh, is it it before that? Okay. 88? So I feel
2: like gross point blank in 97 is kind of like his last sort of big one. But anyway, it's, it's fun to see Ackroyd in something that's not like a, a, a big con- Like it's not like a laugh a minute comedy, right? Like mm-hmm. he's getting to do it at kind of a different speed. Uh, it's always great to see river Phoenix. You know, there's, there's only so many chances you you get to do that. Yeah um he doesn't really have anything to do here he is the young guy in the ensemble but he's great um mary mcdonald again who is set, i mean an all-time great has nothing to do here uh much like last week's safe house this is a movie that doesn't really give a shit about women at all mm-hmm. uh they are there to be happy that you want their phone number uh, unfortunately uh or to go on a Date with a weirdo. Going Go on a date yeah. with Stephen Tobolowsky for you so you could get something. <laughs> Which get some I think insurance. is a great scene. I think she really does a good job with she, that. she equips herself very well in a sequence that I think is not particularly well written. And from a pacing standpoint, kind of hamstrings the movie a little bit. I, I guess... It's unclear to me like how the handoffs are working a little bit. But anyway, we'll we'll get to that later. There's a lot of driving going there's on. There's a lot of driving going on, right? Dude, there's so much commuting in the last yeah. half of this movie. You,
0: you can't think about logic in this thing.
2: And that's I well, Arthur, I think that is what it does it in for me. Because I think the first half of this movie, like structurally speaking, is very sound. I think it's it's internal logic is airtight until like the flip. Mm-hmm. And, until we like find out what the actual stakes are, this movie's great. And then after that, it's got maybe five more scenes where it works. And, and once Robert Redford kind of like lets everybody in on what's what, uh, it just doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, once he gets to Mary McDonald and says, boy, have I had a night, let me tell you about it. That's kind of the last moment that I really dug this movie. And I, it sucked, because I, I really enjoyed the setup. Uh, I have never seen writer-director, what's his name... You said his name twice now. The guy that did Field the of Dreams, famous
1: director of Some of All Fears, the famous
2: director of this. Phil Some of Alden All Fears. Robinson. Phil Alden Robinson, famous for Field of Dreams and Some of All Fears. Uh, it, he's fine, right? Like I, I don't. Can Academy
0: I, Award nominated.
2: Wow, Phil wow. Al- Alden. I'll Robbins. read. Uh, here's something from Roger Ebert back in the day. Uh, sometimes entertaining, but thin. And I, I do unfortunately find myself on, on the side of that. And I think it might have a lot to do with this movie's got some great ideas that would get paid off about 15 years later right like this movie is proto mr robot in some ways that like i I wonder i would love to i wonder if sam esmail knows about this movie right like there is some the way this blends techno thriller with old school paranoia is really cool like I, i i cannot deny that aspect of this film it it knows that spy thrillers espionage thrillers like it it knows enough to know the tide is about to turn that those stories are about to come back into vogue uh from a like motivation of character standpoint uh, ben kingsley has a monologue that lets you know that like this movie is ahead of the curve in a really in a lot of ways unfortunately it just it doesn't hold up under under scrutiny for me um and maybe it's because i like the first half of the movie so much um maybe it is as arthur said like you really can't think too hard about like what's happening uh, in the last half of this movie. Although now that I know uh, Priscilla Page loves it, I would love to find out like what she thinks about the back half of this movie. I've got to find the copy of this. It's got her commentary. I, yeah. I would absolutely watch that. Uh, I, don't, I you know, David Strathairn's great. I always love when he shows up. He's based on a real guy, apparently. And one of the OG phone freakers was a guy named yeah. uh, Joe Ingracia, uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, he's like one of the original phone freakers uh, was blind and had perfect pitch. And that was like part of what made him such a good phone freaker. If you don't know listener, uh, they talk about this a little bit in the movie back in the day when you had to like make, when collect calls were a thing on landlines, there was a tone that took place that allowed the phone company to know that like the collect call had been paid for. And if you played the right tones into your phone, you could get free phone calls, which in the nineties, like was a currency that you could use. You could use, Uh, This kind of low-tech analog hacking to make it a lot of money. Um, Again, it was like a moment in time. It was a window that closed as everything was going from analog to digital. But, like, I don't know. I think that aspect of this film is really interesting. Like, this post-analog, pre-digital time period is just... It's not a long one, right? And uh, uh, of the internet-adjacent movies that come out of Hollywood in this era, from, like, this to, like, what, The Net? You know, some of these early techno paranoia thrillers. This is one of the better ones that I've seen as a, you know, as far as just like knowing when it doesn't know enough to bother to talk about it and knowing when it's like, Oh, we, we actually have some like knowledge here that would be interesting for the the casual viewer. Um, they had a, uh, uh, technical advisor on the film, which helped, uh, uh, James Earl Jones's character is actually named after their, uh, technical advisor, Robert Abbott. Uh, just apparently he was like one of the pioneers, uh, of infosec, Information security, and I guess the director liked him and changed the James Earl Jones character's name. So that's fun. Like, there's like stuff like that that's like fun little tidbits of um, you know info security history throughout the film. But you know, there's some like really interesting. uh, Do you think Brian Toppa saw this movie? That's what I'm going to ask. Oh, for Mission Impossible, yeah, Yeah. absolutely, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. definitely. I mean, there's a lot of cribbing going on. Like they they take kind of this one of the big set pieces of this movie and put another $10 million on it yeah. for Mission Impossible 1, uh, which is cool. Again, that aspect of it, like it being a forgotten movie that sort of predicts a lot of genre elements and, and like has ideas about set pieces. Again, the way it, it blends heist and paranoia, like I like a lot about it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it it just doesn't work for me after the the kind of the midpoint reveals, which I think are... I mean, like a 20 minutes of the movie that are absolutely breathless and like really compelling. So I I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm super harsh on this movie uh, because I like a lot of what it's doing. But yeah, I'm I'm just a little bit kind of more about it than Arthur, I guess.
1: Alrighty, well, thank you very much for that, Mister Dalton Stewart. I am more with Arthur than I am with Dalton, I think, and That's it, fair. there may be some nostalgia do- goggles involved here, and I'm willing to admit that it's a cool job. It, yeah, it's a cool job, and it's a fun movie, and it does have all that charm that you talk about. I don't find that second half to be sweaty because they, you know, they do the fir- the first, you know. Uh, Job the first sneak yeah and uh, initially get said box and then they have to re retrieve the box mm-hmm. uh, for the second half and I, I find that to be just sort of the the, the repeat the same job but now harder right and that is a fun structure yeah. yeah and and so that that works for me just fine I tell you what I don't like and I forgot how much I, I didn't like it before and I didn't really remember it is I don't care for Ben
2: Kingsley. What is his accent in this movie? I
1: don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's the accent problem, but yeah. I just think he's kind of wrong for it. And I really have in my mind... He's also not old enough, right? right. He's like 20 years younger than Redford, isn't he? And, and it, the guy I'm going to suggest would be way too young at the time, too. But William Hurt now is the kind Whoa. of guy yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that William i Yeah, William Hurt
2: now. Oh. Yeah. It,
1: it, it, I, and I don't know what, that, what the analog to that would be in 1992... But um, something along those kinds of lines. Somebody, somebody who is able to go toe to toe. I mean, it's it's
2: Dustin Hoffman, right? Yeah, to make all the presidents' men connection too much, or like who's the other guy from Butch and Sundance? Uh, Paul Paul Newman. Newman. Oh God. Why didn't they get Paul Newman? Are you fucking kidding? Me? I don't He's think still working in '92. I don't know if
1: we'd believe Paul Newman as a the hacker
0: meticulous bad ma- or Mati-
1: yeah, and that's Tech, fair. You got to have the guy who's the fall guy, who's the one who's always getting caught. I mean, there's a way in which like we've got like you know uh, a Captain of the football team and his favorite yeah, nerd friend. It's, yeah, you know, so Newman's got to find, too hot. You're got right. To work that way, but Dustin Hoffman, as you say, would be probably a pretty good call. Arthur,
2: uh, that was the appropriate reaction, by the way, from you to uh, to me forgetting uh, Paul Newman. <laughs> that Paul
0: Newman was newman's yeah. own yeah you mean the founder the, of
2: yeah the founder of big nonprofit profit newman's own <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Who can forget? so I, yeah i i'm with you though like and i don't know if it's because he's this is like maybe one of his early american accent roles
0: or what but... yeah well because yeah he's still i mean he's carrying that british thing right or... yeah he's well, trying you...
2: to do an east coast yeah. thing i think that comes yeah. off
0: as australian in strange yeah, ways weird. Yeah. yeah it doesn't work especially because young cosmo doesn't have
2: that <laughs> Oh, young, weird... What does Young Cosmos do? Young Cosmos is not an actor I know, by the way, but there's he somebody I think familiar. he looks like, and I can't figure yeah, out who I think he I don't looks know like. Sure. i look it up. He's driving me nuts. I
0: will say, though, and I think this kind of speaks to both points about Kingsley, mm. uh, one of the the, the bits uh, early on in the movie in that kind of prologue to this film... Um, the 1969 sequence? Yeah. Uh, he makes a joke about Bond, right? Mm-hmm. About a Bond movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting that he becomes a Bond character. Whoa. I mean, very And, yeah. and the Bond second half brilliant. of this movie is very Bond. Yeah. Big time. And, and, yeah. I, and I, I, think I think maybe that's really they're kind of going a, for some of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree. But like the the way his office is set up and things of that, it really feels very Bond. He's
2: got an office that's just servers. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's a Bond
1: movie, (laughs) right for sure. But anyhow, with the exception of Sir Ben Kingsley, who's just I don't really doesn't quite work for me uh, in this movie. The Mm. way Robert Redford clearly does. Yeah. Uh, But everything else about the movie really, really works. Poitier
0: as Cosmo would have.
1: Poitier as Cosmo would totally have worked. Yeah.
0: Dude. Yeah. Dude. Dude, yeah, that would have yeah. been some layers. Um, yeah, I'm going yeah. to do it. Yeah,
1: but what, whatever's whatever on that. that. That That's just how it ended up shaking out. But I still I, I find the movie super watchable. I find it super funny. It's the weird whole, it didn't become a basic cable mainstay. Absolutely. I mean, that Gunther, let's do what we did in Mexico
2: City scene. We didn't yeah. do that in Mexico I didn't know you could
0: do that in Mexico City.
2: God, Donald Logue coming in clutch. Uh, when they're feeding
0: him lines... Yeah, uh, after he breaks into when Lowe's he's talking office. to Doctor Rizka.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so that movie. See, okay, that was one of the moments early on where I was like, "You
0: got to give him plenty of uh, <laughs> like, help." <laughs> help,
2: help. I, like, I can't argue that this scene is objectively funny, but I couldn't stop picturing the scene through Doctor Rizka's POV, and I was like, <laughs> "God damn, they are like like tactical <laughs> nuclear strike gaslighting <laughs> this woman." Yes, this they is are not cool but it's it's one of those early 90 moments where yeah. it just it does not even occur to anybody well, involved that this is like kind of sketchy
1: they are stealing stuff they cannot be good guys in this uh, moment right I,
2: well look I think theft is actually usually a, a morally just act more but, often than not I mean
1: you know the other way that, that that scene ends is her duct taped in the closet right and so yes. that
2: th- yeah. that is the best option of right. the
1: options that is a better of saying
2: your boyfriend has a wife but also don't worry about it she sucks <laughs> She's ah. she's terrible. You should ever that. She's this. absolutely the worst. So yes, <laughs> it's a pretty. Yeah. She's. Uh, I don't know that. I've never seen an actress uh, before. I don't think, but she's she's very good as like the. I, I couldn't. I can't even like put an adjective on the performance, but right. she is on board with the scene. There, like. There's
1: a certain kind of humanities professor that she sort of reminds yeah, me of. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she's in that particular
2: kind of category. She's extremely funny and it. like it's it's a very good bit of acting. where, like, it doesn't the. The performance does not let on that she as an actor knows what's going on, but there is like a little bit of knowing like that she's a partner in a comedy scene Right. that I think is that's really hard to pull
1: off. Absolutely. And I think the other part of the movie that really works, um, the pleasures of watching the film are the way in which it really does, it shifts gears in a way that's really kind of unpredictable. Like The twists in this movie, unlike what we saw last week when we watched Safe House, yes, you are, are, really don't see any of them coming. They're all there. Totally agree. They're all planned. They're all telegraphed. And having seen the movie before, I'm like, is this what they're going to do? Is this how they're going to handle it? Because that, that's kind of what I remember. But I'm not even positive that that's what's going to happen. Even when they telegraph little bits and pieces of... Shell games and whatnot that get played, and, we'll and, and
2: Robert that. Redford alludes at the end of the film to, "Hey, isn't it funny that this is what happened?" in the plot of, the, like, he <laughs> he kind of nudges the screen, the screenplay nudges itself a little bit, right, which I right. don't I don't love, but I agree with you that like the antithesis to Safe House, like I could not. I didn't really remember Safe House because I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, but I, again, beat for beat, I called every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Safe uh, Sneakers kept me on my toes. Right. As you said, like in a way that I really appreciated.
1: And so uh, that I, I very much enjoy. I mean, you know, there's like a, there's going to be a thing. Like it, it's got that sort of built in, baked in, like there's going to be a twist. There's going to be something, but I really don't know quite what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's a moment early on in the film where, um, Wallace and whoever Danny Kincannon's character is who's forever Danny Kincannon to me and I don't care what anybody says um, when they uh, make the sort of heel turn moment with Robert Redford and Poitier gets him out that I mm-hmm. I I I kind of knew that there was going to be a twist, and I knew he was going to get out, but I didn't know how, and I didn't know it was going to motivate it. And every little bit of that really, really worked for me. Mm-hmm. And and the movie's just full of moments like that, and also just great ad lib dialogue from River and from Dan Aykroyd, uh, as we've already mentioned, is just good stuff. I just really thoroughly enjoy it. And Whistler, give me some Whistler all day, every day. Strathairn,
2: ugh, yeah, he's just so, Straight good. so good. He's so I good. I love it. I don't. Uh, we'll probably talk about this more. I don't, like, know if this movie passes the smell test for, like, blindness representation. Because kind of, like, the fact that he's blind kind of turns into a superpower. Well, he's he's very like, daredevil. Very daredevil, yeah. yes. But, like, it's cool. Like, it shows, like, how um, braille terminals work. Well, there's a word for it. Is it just braille terminal? I would call uh, it th- a bra- That kind of computer yeah. that, that is used for people that have uh, sight issues. Yeah. I, I think that kind of stuff's cool. Like, yeah. you know, if you don't know about that already, that's a fun thing to learn about, right?
1: So I'm watching this movie with my 14-year-old son, and one of those scenes comes up. He looks straight at me dead in the eyes. He goes, you know what the scariest thing to read in Braille is? I said, what? He says, do not touch. I'm like, you're a monster. That's a good bit. That's a good <laughs> bit.
2: I don't know where your son picked that up, but he is funny, unfortunately. <laughs> I have to give him
1: props. Yeah, well done, boy. Um, proud of you. Um, on the podcast that you never listen to, I can say it. Moving right along. And, and nor should he. Yeah, right.
2: I mean, uh, now they're both old enough to listen to it, potentially at this point, and they couldn't care less, no, which is not how it should be. Absolutely. It's good that they don't, aren't your fans.
1: Right. Well, speak of things that we couldn't care less about, we're done with the review. Uh, let's move on into uh, expanding the syllabus.
2: What does that mean, Dalton? I'm more prepared for it than I was the last time you asked me. So, as Dustin has already told you, this is the show where we talk about the films that you would never discuss in a film studies course. This is the part of the show that asks, but what if you did? Uh, so now we are going to try, and all three of us, uh design either a a unit of a you know a university course or a full 16 week course we're we're going to try and take sneakers and approach it from an academic point of view and talk about okay if you were to teach this movie how would you teach it would it be a film class would it be a history class would it be uh you know humanities class what would you do with this movie um to to try and like suss out all all that's there for worth discussing basically for sure,
1: for sure. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, Arthur, what does your syllabus look like?
0: Well, Dustin, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I think that kind of uh, inspired by Dalton, uh, or no, you, you did it a couple weeks ago when you did uh, the star study of, uh, what's his name, in City Slickers, Jack Plants. Oh, yeah, right yeah. On. I I think it'd be kind of fun. We've we've done some Robert Redford stuff in the past, or he's come up quite a few times, oh, at least yeah. in syllabies and l instead when we did that. Uh, so I think it'd be fun to do a kind of a study of Robert Redford and his career. Uh, and so I'd kind of just track that cause it's a very interesting career, especially the way it's kind of come full circle, uh, now in the last couple of years or in the last decade probably, um, so I, I'd start with the rise. Obviously we'd start with Butch and Sundance. I think that's a good place to jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, that really kind of cements him finding his style and, and that pairing with uh, Newman, uh, and, and where he would go on, uh, with that, uh, Arguably uh, probably the most notable film in his oeuvre, one of them, of uh, probably two or three. Mm. Uh, so that's where I would start uh, and really kind of looking at the beginning of his career. From there, I'd go with Downhill Racer, uh, a, a sports drama where he plays a skier competing at the international level, kind of a character study huh. uh, that he does. Uh, Don't know about long this after. one. Yeah, I, I think he wins a BAFTA award for it. So, you know, it's, it's kind of in the Criterion is what I picked up gotcha. uh, once upon a time. Um, and then some. I, I'd kind of move this into the next phase. I think cementing his genre, uh, and that's where we would obviously talk about all the President's Men uh, and Three Days of the Condor, and that kind of correlation with him and political thriller, because he's done a lot. He's done westerns. He's done heist stuff. He's done crime things. Uh, but it does really kind of feel like he is cemented with that that genre of the political thriller. Yeah, and probably just because of how. I think pivotal, all the president's men was in his career and as a kind of American cinema as well mm-hmm. and what it kind of stood for. Uh, and then Three Days of the Condor kind of speaking to that same social political climate of the time. Uh, really kind of reinforce, you know, those two movies plus and Sundance kind of feel like those are the. The, the Redford trio. If, if you're wanting to look at his career, yeah. those are the three you'd highlight immediately. He he
2: truly does answer the question: What if Brad Pitt was hotter and a better actor?
0: Yeah, yeah. Which uh, is,
2: it's it, one bananas how much they look alike. It oh, yeah. it never stops blowing my mind. Yeah, it's wild. I thought it was Brad Pitt playing young Redford at first, the beginning yeah. of the movie. I was like, wait a second, I would know make, about yeah, this it already. Track yeah, but yeah, he wow. Yeah. He's good. He's good.
0: He's, he's one of the greats, great. man. There's a reason like he still just, cleans chari- up, charisma for days. He's so charming. Love him. Yeah. Uh, and then I want to talk about his directing, kind of behind the camera. And so we'd probably go with the Horse Whisperer here. You uh, going to talk about look at that Sundance Film Festival at all? Yeah, I'd probably get to that right around this part late. of the career. I don't know if I do this or maybe just in conjunction with this, but yeah, we definitely would be talking about Sundance and his sure. role on American cinema and independent cinema and the impact that that has had since the early '90s. Yeah. Uh, I think it's definitely. Part of this course And where it falls I don't know But yeah We were going to get into that uh, And then coming full circle I want to come back Towards the end of his career So far uh, I, I think we do All is lost uh, Which is kind of His mm. big acting moment In the last decade uh, I think it's in the last decade Time is a contract 20, Yeah it's I think 2013, it's 2013, 2014 it's, or Maybe
2: earlier It's within the last 10 years I'm okay. pretty sure Anyway
0: All is lost Is when I'd come to uh, Which is just him on a boat Yelling and angry For an hour and a half uh, but it's good. It's JC Chandor I think is director there. That's correct. Um, I do know that. But yeah, it, it's a really good movie and it's a really great performance from him. Uh he does I mean it, it's a lot of physical acting and and just really good turn. Uh from there I've also got to go with Captain America: The Winter Soldier which right echoes that that spy thriller thing that he did and really capitalizes on that and plays with that. How do we make it more believable in this press packet when we call this superhero movie a spy thriller? <laughs> I know! That's yes, Robert Redford, yeah. Yep. Uh, it's also fun that him and Kingsley would both be in, in big moments in the MCU later yeah. on. Yeah. You know, 30 years later, 20 years later. Uh, and finally, I'd go with The Old Man and the Gun, which I really kind yes. of brings it full circle to Butch and Sundance. God, that movie's so good. Uh, and even here, you know, when when uh, he is Robin, that, uh, when, when it's revealed that it was a uh, inside job by the company you know but he's charming the uh the people at the bank and that's all i could think about was that that charm of his which drives the old man in the gun yeah uh, and so that's where i'd go with it and, and wrap it up really looking at his career kind of what he's done behind the camera in front of the camera on stage he got his start in, in on theater and that's kind of pivotal his early days obviously we see that with his directing later on uh but also that that industry side of it as well with with uh, the Sundance Film Festival, and, and the impact that that has made, I mean, drastic impact that that has made, in, in the way films are made, distributed, and who's making those movies and, and the influence those have had. So totally. that's, that's where I'd go with this, though, Dustin. Very cool, very cool. I like all of
1: that. What would you do for a class there, Dalton?
2: So uh, last week we discussed the film Safe House. Uh, a peek behind the curtain, we're uh, in, in an effort to get a little caught up on the backlog as we are coming back from hiatus. We are recording these episodes on the same day. So when I sat down to make my syllabus for Safe House, thinking I was going to talk about films about the national security state, thinking, well, I'll just do Denzel movies, and then I watched Sneakers. I was like, well, shit, <laughs> these movies like fit together like PB and J. I kind of got to talk to them to get as a piece uh, because they are both fundamentally so much about like the broad tendrils of the national security apparatus. And when this film came out, like the NSA was the, the joke was there's no such agency. Like it wasn't really a thing people talked about until really this moment. Like the 90s was kind of the first time people started talking about it. There were some big kind of disclosure moments. Disclosure being a kind of sort of word. Uh, But again, like the alluding to this, this agency that like sort of rests at the top of the the security apparatus i was like well of course we got to talk about these things in conjunction together so as much as i wanted my course last week about the security state and whistleblowers to just be denzel centric uh sneakers kind of threw a wrench in that so we'll talk about a couple of other things that i think align with sneakers and safe house as far as trying to take a sort of populist appeal look at the security state and and how do you reckon with a behemoth uh of civil rights violation that cannot be stopped that is truly a monster of its own making and and self-perpetuation and i think both weirdly both of these movies somehow tackle that uh i think sneakers may be more effectively than safe house not that it's the you know it it could do more but i think they both try to tackle this so of course we're going to talk about both of these films Uh, and the, the the other Denzel kind of spy thrillers that I alluded to last week. Um, but I think at that point, uh, you know, we might do one or two other, you know, f- fictional narratives. We might look at the TV show Mr. Robot a little bit, which I've already alluded mm-hmm. to. Uh, just because I, I think so much of the way that show blends techno thriller and old school 70s paranoia. Like, it, it feels very... Uh, very much in the same coaching tree as sneakers uh so again i would love to to find out if uh, cms mail and the creative team uh on mr robot are aware of this movie because like the ways in which it is sometimes just like walking into a building with a piece of technology and hoping nobody notices you uh i love that kind of stuff um but again last week uh if if you didn't listen don't worry about it i'll catch you up real quick Uh, i essentially talked about how when looking at the security apparatus, you have to look at how opinions of it have changed. So we would actually probably start with Sneakers, since this is, uh, as far as I'm aware, one of the first like big major productions that acknowledges the NSA and, and allows that agency to be sort of a, a big player uh, within the text of the film. Uh, but I think uh, once we get past a kind of certain groundwork laying uh, portion of this course after we get through talking through like moments in pop culture history where uh, America's self-examining its apparatus. I think then we would pivot to part two, which is sort of, there is no conspiracy. This this is all open and nobody does anything about it. The whistles have all been blown and nobody gave a shit. Uh, so we would look at things like citizen four, which Dustin alluded to last week. Uh, the uh, Edward Snowden documentary focused documentary. It's got, you know, uh, questionable in both its ethics and who who cares uh you know a uh, person's a patriot at the end of the day uh, even if they are an asset uh we would then also look at uh, uh xy chelsea which I, I haven't i've seen this before i haven't seen xy chelsea but that focuses on chelsea manning on her whistleblowing and again another patriot done dirty uh by an apparatus that's supposed to like high-five you for blowing the whistle and never does uh we would then look at wormwood the uh, errol morris miniseries focused nice. on the cia's uh, experiment with experiments with LSD, uh, and all the damn paperwork about it that they shredded, uh, because a lot of it involved Nazis and they didn't want people knowing what we let Nazis do in the sixties, because of course you don't want the American people to know that. Uh, and again, like I I think a lot of this course is going to be focused on stuff like that. There's this doc that I I learned about my research that I haven't seen, uh, but it's called all governments lie truth, deception, and the spirit of IF stone who's a noted kind of whistleblowing journalist. Um, Look at that. Uh, There's an NSA doc actually about uh, the NSA's private contractors. Edward Snowden was one of these guys, but this film is not about him. Uh, It's called The Good American. Uh, It's about the NSA and basically how they probably could have stopped (laughs) 9-11. Uh, if they listen to their private contractors. And this this is not news, right? Uh, I think Looming Tower is a show and nonfiction book that deal with this. But I, I think that's where we would pivot in the second half of this class. We, we would have to, at once we've sort of looked at the pop culture history of, of depictions of America's national security apparatus, we would have to look at failures, uh, the times the whistle's been blown, uh, and the abuses, right? So I, I, there's this great podcast called Blowback. I don't know if either of you are aware of this. Uh, its uh, first season focuses on the uh, invasion of Iraq, uh, the second one, not the first one, uh, and then the second season uh, deals with uh, America's relationship with Cuba, uh, mm. both you know, uh, pre-Spanish-American War, uh, pre-Bay of Pigs, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, really great series uh, that does its best to uh, focus on the lives that America's destroyed, frankly, uh, to not put too fine a point on it. And you can w- finger wag at me about totalitarian states all you want, but at the end of the day, how mad can you be at me that our government props up totalitarian states until it's not convenient anymore? Uh, and I, I think that is what we have to do in a class like this. We have to acknowledge the failures of our own leaders and figure out how what we're going to do about it because they clearly aren't going to do anything because again it's open knowledge that colin powell lied to the un and nobody cares right, right? it's all of these things are not secrets it's all out there. which is a line that i uh i paraphrase a lot i don't love the comic book the boys i think the tv show is a little bit more effective in its satire but one thing I, I like from that comic book is there there is a a line to that effect right it's like there's no conspiracy every the, the money like the money changes hands out in the open it 's all public information it's just no one really cares or or if they do care if they know that we are sort of powerless as a public to really do anything about it because the the empire moves under its own perpetual motion at this point um well. I mean, it's slowing down, man. We'll see what happens in the next couple of decades. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the class it is, is really just looking at what happens to whistleblowers, what happens to Robert Redford in this movie. And again, I think that's what's valuable about Sneakers and Safe House is it takes you know fantastical uh, blockbuster movie premises, uh, but it deals with real world concerns uh, as far as like, what do you do when you cannot trust the people that are supposed to keep you safe at night? Uh, what do you do when the lie... Uh, or the, the job itself is a lie when, when the job really isn't to keep you safe. It's really to do uh, further the state's interests, whatever those might be, but usually are not related to the safety and security of the public. Very and cool. Dustin, now you and I last week, we kind of were simpatico on our classes. Uh, we were sort of dealing with similar concerns, right? As, as far as just looking at popular culture uh, and depictions of the security state. Do, do you have anything similar for sneakers? What do you nope. think? Nope. No. Uh, <laughs> what do you doing with this movie? What do you think about it? I, I'm doing something really different because I am really
1: enamored with the uh, outdated, outmoded technology of this yeah, film. And yeah. I was thinking about some sort of film studies course that was dealing with technology in particular. Okay. And, I mean, you could go real old school at the beginning parts of it, talking about early cinema and just development of the apparatus itself, and you mm-hmm. could even you know talk about the sort of gimmicks, William Castle and the Tingler and that kind of stuff in the 60s. True. And so, I don't, again, like last week, I'm not sure what the first half of the course might look like, but I know towards the end the representations of this uh, particular types of technology and the ways in which we have a strange relationship with technology even now. And so watching a movie like Sneakers, uh, you've already mentioned The Net. Uh, yep. I was thinking about Hackers also. Sure. Uh, David Cronenberg's Videodrome and yeah. Betamax and those kind of things uh, alongside with VHS. We do yeah. Existence. Existence would be a possibility. Even thinking about found footage films of the late 90s into the 2000 aughts and digital technologies, how those things all come into play as well, might be something to think about. And so those would be some of the films or types of films uh, without being real, real specific about which ones I'd use. But I think uh, in terms of reading, I think Marshall McLuhan would be one we'd have to think about uh, who's going to tie in very well to Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the medium is the message or the massage, uh, depending on your misprint of the title. Which um, apparently McLuhan liked That's fine As an interesting thing now, and then,
2: Mar- I know I know that name But uh, for me, uh, because I sleep a lot And also the listener uh, Who's Marshall McLuhan? Okay, so Why you know, should we know that name? The
1: job of a futurist, right? Yes. A person
2: who thinks about the future. Well, think
1: about one that lived in the 70s Okay Okay, so he's a big 70s futurist He was mostly wrong about a great many things But sure. he was right about some things as well And just thinking about Again, the medium itself is the message More than what the actual content is And so thinking about the cathode ray tube and television and radio waves and broadcasting, eventually anticipating cable, Mm, et cetera, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, And then just in terms of just this sort of, the geology of this in fact a book i would want to read is the geology of media by Perico, which is just talking about how we we discard and reuse and you know uh the adaptation of certain kinds of media platforms uh the platform wars vhs versus betamax for instance or HD, DVD versus Blu-ray. Sure. And those, Laser disc and DVD. Right, all that
2: kind of stuff. Uh, as all well. battles mostly decided by pornography, oddly enough.
1: Weird enough, that makes sense, though. And then uh, there's another book that's sort of a, a, a company to it called uh, Digital Rubbish. Uh, okay. Thinking about, again, just, just discarded technology and where that stuff all goes to live eventually. Is that sort
2: of about the, the, the post-physical media environment? Post-physical media environment. And also,
1: just what do you do with old computer towers from an Apple IIe from 1984? Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah,
2: Can you cannibalize those guts? or do they end up in a landfill leaching right. toxic chemicals? And,
1: and, and various ways in which artistic approaches have, have used some of those things where they themselves become um, objects of art or people do this thing called circuit bending and uh, they're they're using those technologies wrong to produce effects either uh, orally or mm-hmm. visually oh, okay. uh, to, I, to make art.
2: I, of course, was wondering if that was a martial art where you uh, harness technology through some sort of technology. Become technoma-
1: techno-mages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so thinking about that would be the part of uh, the course in which sneakers and, again, hackers and the net... And videodrome and films of its ilk would come into play later on, doing the uh, again the sort of found footage thing, and then maybe before that, thinking about gimmick cinema and just the apparatus itself, various technologies, and widescreen, and
2: you know, we're gonna have to do Michael Mann's Black Hat on this film, this As, show at some point. It Sounds like it might because have because people come yeah. this movie like tanked so hard, but people like it's got defi- people love the people that like this movie love it, but I think so much of it is kind of about what you're talking about, Dustin. It's mm-hmm. sort of like. Filmmakers trying to Take action movie premises That that take uh, Technology seriously That are uh, Unlike the (laughs) net Concerned with like What is actually possible And and what is Potentially likely Mm -hmm.
1: So well there you go Dear listener I think your syllabus Just got longer And I think now Would be a good time To get down to business
0: I think we need to have a manathon.
2: Yeah, Michael Mann is sort of like the good trash guy, right? Like if it's not him,
0: it's. But we have to do Manhunter. Manhunter we do for Miami sure. Vice. Mm-hmm. We do. Uh, I'm a fiend from a Public He's- Enemy.
2: Yeah, did you do the lesser man? Movies? And then we do Black Hat. Yeah, I love that the Lesser Man marathon. I love it. God, it. well it gives me and it gives me an excuse to do some blank check re-listens yeah i love it i'm 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 there for it i am there for it i I like it when we do inside baseball on the show
1: i do too so let's talk a little bit of analysis now uh with this film and i guess where we might begin is we could talk about i think i let's talk about the 60s
2: i was gonna say let's start at the beginning let's Let's start at the beginning talk about movies with prologues
1: and and the prologue here is this sort of idealistic revolutionary moment, 1968 being a huge year, both here and in Europe, and in other places in the world as well, in which revolution was in the air. And
2: then it didn't
1: happen. And Hmm. the ways in which... Weird
2: that that happens then. Never mind. Go on. sorry. I know. know. uh, Turtles all the way down. What are you going to
1: do? All the way to the bottom
2: of the other turtle.
1: And... (laughs) Anyway, uh, what do we do then with that kind of moment and thinking about his representation? Because I'm thinking about Robert Redford as a hippie Mm -hmm. who becomes a yuppie.
2: Who becomes a neolib. Right. Well, and that's how this movie ends, right? Right. So at the start of the movie, Robert Redford is stealing from the RNC and giving to the Black Panther Party. Fuck yeah. At the end of the movie, he's stealing from just the RNC as opposed to the RNC and the DNC, which I would say is probably a much more reasonable thing to do. Uh, clean both of them out. Uh, and he gives it to... Uh, uh, Greenpeace? Greenpeace, you know, Negro College Fund. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of nonprofits. Right. NGOs, which I don't know that they're going to save us either, Rob. But it, it is a very much like uh, last week's film. It is a... Hollywood solves all the world's problems by letting the the good guys have access to the right technology, Mm -hmm. or to the right information. Uh, And, uh, you know, I think even in that prologue moment, we do sort of get where this film is going. You know, Kingsley has this monologue late in the film about, it's all information, baby, and... You know, that's kind of the g- framework for a lot of villain monologues for the next several decades, honestly. Right. Um, but it is sort of a moment of, yeah, and knowledge is power, and the knowledge that they have is how to access Richard Nixon's personal checking account.
1: Which is hilarious. It's very
2: funny giving it to the committee to, for the legalization of marijuana. Very right. good.
1: And I think there's a weird way in which Redford's character is correct. It is kind of just a prank. and And that might be the place in which we might begin to think about how cinema reckons with the failure of 1968 is that 1968 uh there's there's a long um again and I hate to be quoting williams uh, williams aaron sorkin as a person right on anything uh ever but there's this moment in which uh, Will McAvoy is talking, and that's why I said William Sorkin for a second. Will McAvoy in the newsroom is talking about. So basically, Aaron Sorkin. Um, yeah. Differences between like, the 60s, you know, hippies and those kind of movements versus uh, the Tea Party movement mm-hmm. in the uh, 2000 odds to teens. And uh, the thing is that Abby Hoffman wasn't ever running for office, right? The yep. hippies the weren't. SDS were not really doing that kind of thing. But. Again, I hate to say he might be kind of right here, but there's a way in which tactics never were quite in place. And uh, that seems to be where some of those movements lost traction.
2: Well, the movements that had good tactics got murdered. Right. right? like The good tactics are fending for your own community, mm-hmm. educating your own community, feeding your own community, and protecting your own community. Uh, and not trusting the state to do those things because you know that they won't. Right. Unfortunately, when you teach people how to read, give them food, and you're, you know, you're carrying, the government will murder you, especially if you're black or brown. Cross-reference Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. yeah, See footnotes, uh, the FBI murdered Fred Hampton, and the CIA probably killed Martin Luther King, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Right. But but to your point, though, like, those are the organizations that had good tactics. Right. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say the Weather Underground had good tactics because that's just a bunch of white terrorists. Right at the end of the, unfortunately, right? Like they had strong ideals. They were just killing people with bombs, they were.
1: And, and, and But there was something tactical, at least there, yes. as
2: opposed to,
1: I don't know, the putting a, a, a flower in a National Guard unif- uh, soldier's carbine. Makes know, a good picture. Carbine. It makes a good picture, but doesn't do much, right? Yeah. And, and so that which makes good TV, that which makes good media, has begun to inform some of our political activism in a way that I think, it, again, t- coming back to last week and talking about ideology, mm-hmm. the way ideology works is that if you get the good pictures, then you're going
2: to get it done. And I don't really see No, it just turns into a Kylie Jenner Pepsi commercial. Yeah. Uh, don't buy Frito-Lay, which yeah. is owned by Pepsi, et cetera. Right. Bye-bye, Hot Cheetos. I'll miss you. Uh, a lot. A lot. But <laughs> my my GI tract will not, so it's for the best. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I, things get co op right? Movements get co-opted. Mm-hmm. There, there is, as we said, turtles all the way down. Uh, there, there is sort of a, an inevitability in some ways, it feels like, to... The ways in which uh, the next generation, or even the two generations later, will sort of recycle—you alluded to in your your film syllabus—that uh, you were just discussing, right? Technology and movements both get recycled and co opted and repurposed, sometimes for better, usually for worse. Right, and I do think we
1: find ourselves in a moment like that. And I, I again, just as sort of thinking about it historically, when we've 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 lived through in the last ten years occupy wall street we've lived through black lives matter we've lived through you know the zantifa stuff that's been going on you know and, and a number of other conversations that are really really important yep. that are going to dominate a lot of the historical conversation around the last decade decade and a half and uh, uh also the the uh the big uh, economic collapse of 2008 um so you know moving beyond uh Intelligence and uh, the war on terror and those kind of things, which I think are more pertinent to the discussion with sneakers. But it's framed by one of these kinds of moments, and I got a feeling that it's going to turn into, well, they had some good pranks and nothing much ever changed. And I'm just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm getting older or if I'm, I'm seeing enough movies right now that I'm becoming cynical as well. But I, I, I find the sort of cynicism of sneakers about the 60s uh, to be maybe kind of an appropriate message to be thinking about I mean, right it's, now.
2: it's a definitively early 90s, quote-unquote, end-of-history message, right? Mm-hmm. Especially the ending of this film. The, the best thing you can do is uh, liberate... Uh, B- bad actors of their funds and redistribute them to good causes. Uh be, sure okay. Irritation, but right. I think a good like the best version of that we have today is the the former Mrs. Bezos, right, who's taking her billions of dollars and instead of just giving it to Greenpeace, uh is like setting up like a research committee to find out where that money might actually do some good, mm-hmm. you know, community colleges and and uh, low income neighborhoods in New York and stuff like that. I wish I had a longer list in front of me, uh, but I, I find that, as far as like the idea that giving money to good causes can do anything goes, I think that's probably the better way. Right, is not to give to the big the blue chip NGO, right, like the the household name nonprofit. You got to find things that are supporting that don't have a global mission because those things don't do anything. They truly don't. They do their best, mm-hmm. but they're not going to affect any long-lasting permanent change. If you give a community college $100 million, and I don't mean doling it out to them over the course of 15 years like most big donations, I mean giving them a big old fucking bag and saying, do what you will with it, That actually has the capacity to change things, right? That allows uh, educational institutions to give grants and scholarships they would not have otherwise been able to give. Uh, Or you do, if we want to be a little less U.S.-centric about it, uh, you maybe consider doing what the Zapatistas do in southern Mexico, which is say, you you don't come here already, so you're just going to keep not coming here. And if you do, we might shoot at you because we've got this. We're feeding ourselves, we're educating ourselves, we, we can't trust you because we tried to trust you and we keep getting murdered both by you and by people who like have paid you off. Uh, we don't have time to get into the Zapatistas today. Uh, but the not idea of the autonomous show. zone. Yeah. Exactly. Now America tried some autonomous zones uh, this last couple of years and really, you know, a failed experiment, mm-hmm. but uh, all experiments are for data and research purposes. Right. Uh, and I guess that's the optimistic view is you you look at a failed movement and say, well, now we got data for the next one. Now now we have ideas, and I guess, yeah, I've... Rarely am I the optimist on this show, but I figured if you're feeling a little too pessimistic today, I, I guess I had to buoy you. I well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just grumpy today. I don't know. Oh, who but knows. I mean, your point well, stands. You're old. And again, to <laughs> to find an example that worked, mm-hmm. I got to go halfway to over halfway to Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I mean, we're talking the far southern tip of Mexico. You know, the part the U.S. can't control. Right. Essentially, the the, the part where it's a little bit harder for us to affect uh, regime change. Right. See, see last week's episode See last week's episode
1: So moving in uh, to the movie And uh, the idea of the intelligence state And surveillance in the NSA And various governmental organizations at work And how um, you know, a government would want this It turns out not to be a government It turns out to be
2: the mob Pretty cool I kind of like that it's to the twist is that it's the mob. It does make more sense for it to be the government. Right. I I was a little disheartened when it turned out the NSA weren't weren't the bad guys. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. When James Earl Jones showed up to save the day, I was a little sad. I I won't go as far as to say crestfallen, because I'm always happy to see uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Mufasa himself. But damn it, this movie's cooler if the government's the bad guy. It just is. I don't Mm -hmm. make the rules. Uh, I'm sorry this movie came out in Clinton's America and everybody thought they could trust Democrats for some reason.
1: Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if there's any more to uh, analyze about that other than just saying, hey, it turns out to be the mob and I'm Then not...
2: Kingsley's joke about how it's not that organized is really funny. Yeah, it is very funny. It's a good joke. They're, they're good family men, also a good joke. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it important to acknowledge the, uh, the role of organized crime in global history? Yeah. yeah, we don't talk about it enough. Uh, they're basically responsible for again. We're talking about we talked about Cuba just a little bit ago. Uh, sort of responsible for like pre. Uh, what's his name? Mussolini? The, no, no, no. The the guy before Castro, before Castro and his his buds took power. Oh right, yeah. Well, that's Batista. I mean, the, the mob like helped prop up Batista mm-hmm. like that. It, what? Why don't we talk about that in history classes? Why do we have to learn that from The Godfather Part Two? Right, it's it's messed up that that's just not a thing we talk about, right? And like the larger Sicilian crime, but we're just gonna stop talking about organized crime. Actually, I'm more worried about them than I am the government. Yes, uh, they have an outsized role in world politics, and I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a fun twist for a movie to have. Yeah, where did it land for you guys? Do you like the idea that the government's the bad guy? Does it make more sense that it's? actually just former government employees that now work for uh, ben kingsley super criminal i don't know i don't know it makes sense that cosmo comes back and is the antagonist right right like yeah that, yeah totally you, you, there was no way Cosmo that had was, to be happening yeah th- that he scene, didn't
0: just die
2: that scene exists to let you know
0: Cosmo. we saw his supervillain story
2: yeah exactly he'll yeah. be he'll be returning in issue five either right. you either
0: die a hero or Live yeah. long enough. Yeah, so.
2: or uh, or you don't get roles anymore. R.I.P. Arnett Cart. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Thank man. you for smoking. It's a good movie. It's a good monkey. <sighs> um,
1: Whistler, Whistler, Whistler. Let's talk about representation, navalism.
2: I and-
0: love uh, Chris Christopherson. <laughs> Oh, the other Whistler. The sorry. other Whistler. Oh, okay.
2: Chris Christopherson is fantastic in the Blade trilogy, and I, I couldn't agree more. Chris Christopherson's always awesome. Yeah, so. he rules. Uh, yeah. I know. I kind of touched on this. I don't have anything to say about this man. Like, I don't. I don't have enough uh, blind touch I, points. I have a buddy who is d- ha, does have some side issues, but you know can mo- sort of navigate the sighted world. Yeah. I-, I am not close enough to this issue to feel like I have any ground to stand on.
1: I think it's rad that there is yes. a disabled yeah. character. I yeah. think it's also um, strange that his blindness gets played off as a joke. I mean, when he dances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You
0: or know, I mean, even when he walks up to James Earl Jones and yeah, he, can't. Yeah, as, as he a, walks to the wrong side of the room. And then hears him even, speak and steps over. And even know? though he's proven throughout the film that he can hear meticulous background sounds through recordings, he missed the mark on where Earl Jones was.
2: So, you know, it's good, It but... fails as often
0: as it succeeds. Uh, yeah. But when he gets to drive the van, it's a lot of fun. Kick's ass. It's so good.
2: That the, the van thing is fun. Him I going, think I'll just stop I'll it here. I'll stop here. <laughs> David Strathern can make anything work. Mm-hmm. He's the best. He's one of the greats. He is. Uh, I, yeah, it's, and it's, uh, you know, as I alluded to, like, it was fun to learn in my research. Like, oh, that was a real dude. Sort of. I yeah. mean, it's inspired yeah. by a real guy. Like, if you find out that like one of the OG freakers was a blind person with perfect pitch, you absolutely have to put that in your movie. That is too cool. For sure. Yeah. There are blind actors, is what I'll say. Yeah. And I think we can just leave it at that. Yeah. As much I, as I like David Strathern.
1: Right. I I tend to agree with exactly that. Um, I guess we can lastly just talk about mother. Um, because we gotta talk about Aykroyd and we gotta talk about conspiracy theorists and
0: We love it. Every time he showed up, I couldn't help but think of your two's uh, diatribe against the uh, conspiracy theorist podcast host in uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Oh uh, yes. So yeah. I, I, I couldn't help but thinking of that. It, that
2: character is fun when they're not a, not a podcast host, I guess is what yeah. I'm That's saying. not the modern era. Uh, yeah, I know. That, that character is more fun in a world... Than in a pre-Reddit in era? In a pre-Q era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that character's more fun. Because those people used to be more fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're just the
0: crazy guy on the corner. <sighs> well, you know? and,
2: and to be fair, if you ask... There was
0: no harm, no foul.
2: If you sit long enough with Mother, the Dan Aykroyd character, he will probably say something anti-Semitic. And I, that is sort of the problem with conspiracy theories writ large, is at a certain point they cross
0: the Rubicon of racism, mm-hmm. right? And he's had those conversations with Poitier, who's pretty tired of his...
2: He's so sick of it. It is <laughs> The shtick of him not trusting Poitier because he's a former CIA employee is extremely funny. Yeah. I love that. It's great. I lo- I love that they just let Dan. I I can only is- imagine how much of that is scripted and how much of that is accurate. So They put a quarter in acroy and said, "Go nuts." Yeah. Uh, I Kennedy's think- still alive. Yeah. What? Okay. He's surely airing things that he probably doesn't believe, but like mm-hmm. is aware of because he's in those. Com- yeah. Know, is aware of those communities. I don't know, man. Like I I like to give air to. I don't know, well, Let's not say conspiracy theories because I try my best not. I try my best to like make sure I highlight it. When I'm talking about a thing that's not confirmed, uh, I don't know. I don't. I, it, it's frustrating to have characters that get to speak truth and have to lie as well. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I don't. I don't know how you write that, especially in a big movie. I don't know how you let a studio get away with you saying things like the FBI murdered Fred Hampton, which I guess you could now because of the Jewish Black Messiah. But like, you just play th- him off as a joke. Throw a dart at a history book, and you're going to find something that like nobody talks about, right. But is. Yeah. John Brown's part of the reason that slavery isn't legal. Like, you, there's just things that like are mm-hmm. common knowledge that we don't really allow to be societal talk. Like Vijay Prashad's Washington's
1: Bullets movie or movie uh, book about all the um, uh, coup attempts over yeah. the last half a century. Yeah, I,
2: seriously. Yeah, they, actually, we could have just said that the last 150 years of Central and South American history. Mm-hmm. Right, that character exists in a film. They also have to say the moon landing's fake. They mm-hmm. don't get to talk about regime change. Yeah. And that's that's just Hollywood stuff, man. Like, And again, I know I joked around last... And this is as far as I will go in my uh, conspiracy jokery, is to suggest that almost all Hollywood films are probably uh, government psyops. Mm-hmm. Do I really believe that? I mean, not really, but also I know how much mo- money the Department of Defense gives Disney to make Marvel movies. So like, right. you have to be realistic at a certain point. If you don't think your government is trying to manipulate you, you haven't learned enough about history.
0: Right. Because that's not all attention. they do. That's literally all they do. I mean, I mean, the propaganda and cinema are intrinsically tied since the early yeah. days of cinema. Through all, yeah, through, I mean, all through all of through cinema history. history. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. it's yeah. use of yeah. military assets to make those kinds of pictures, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it doesn't matter if it's Battleship
2: Potemkin. Uh, or Casablanca. Or um, what's the Riefenstahl one? Uh, oh, Triumph of the Will. Triumph of the Will yeah. or American Sniper. Yep. That's propaganda all the way down, baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, you have to be real, realistic about those things. Otherwise, y- you can't have an honest conversation about them. You you yeah. just you simply you become Dan Aykroyd at a certain point. If yeah. you can't, you have to be honest about what you don't know. God, I can't believe I'm about to paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld. You <laughs> have to be realistic about the known knowns and the unknown unknowns, or whatever it was he said? Right. Because at the end of the day, there are a lot of things that you just can't confirm, or if you can confirm them. It's like there's there's like connections are kind of loose at the end. Like there, there's not a, there's not a period at the end of the sentence because like there was no resolution to the, the historical issue. I thought I was going to sneeze. I apologize to your It would have been listener. cool if you had sneezed.
1: I was trying very hard not to. He
0: was uh, pausing for dramatic fact.
2: Does Dan Aykroyd get anything to do other than be cute though? I mean, does his character exist other than to benefit the paranoid kind of uh, conventions that this film plays with? And desire with? a Winnebago
0: burgundy interior
2: i look respect dude that's becca very, very funny. Uh, was walking through the uh the room when i was watching that scene and she was "Guy, that sounds good don't just give me a go off the grid money yeah. I, I guess maybe we can now talk about also speaking of this movie not caring about women uh river phoenix just wants uh the cute nsa agent's phone the number <laughs> and she's super into it right that's just lazy screenwriting come yeah. on yeah uh, the fact that mary mcdonald doesn't want it are you kidding me, movie? You yeah. couldn't bother for five seconds to think about what Mary McDonald's character might want from the NSA if she got a blank check. Come on, dude. I mean,
1: I think the character moment is supposed to, supposed to. I think it doesn't quite land, but it's supposed to be, I am not playing this game. I really yeah. am. Yes. I'm just hanging out with these guys. I got nothing to do with yeah. this, and I don't want any strings attached.
2: You know? I agree yeah. that that is probably what they're trying to communicate from a character standpoint, that she's still got a foot out. Mm-hmm. She's all the way in by this point in the movie, yeah. man. She ran a honey pot on Stephen Tobolowski. She's <laughs> she in. She certainly did. She's in. That's <laughs> it. I don't know. Uh, the Then I guess this gets to where, like, this is the end of the movie, and these are the parts of it that I find super frustrating. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, I'm I'm reacting this way. I was very defensive towards the last half of the movie, despite the things that I think work. I think the resolution's mostly fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess for me, and, and you talking about Mother, and, and now me, Mary, uh, Mary McDonald's character, is everyone kind of ends up thin. And Roger Ebert, I read Ebert's review and he kind of touched on this, right? He's like, it's got the world war II movie problem. You got the lady, you got the kid, you got the weird guy, you got the stern guy. Like,
0: yeah.
2: And it's that kind of movie, right? It's just, you have archetypes and that's it. Right. And yeah. that, that is maybe one of the biggest problems is everybody in this movie is really fun. As it, Arthur, this is a murderers row of like super talented people, uh, main and supporting cast. You know, but at the end of the day they don't really have a lot to do except for react Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. Who's good yeah. and can still carry a movie at this point in his career. Yeah. But I don't I get frustrated by the lack of uh depth to really anybody, I guess, which was a, a very long answer to your question about mother. I am so sorry. That's fine. Um I'd expect
1: probably now. at this point though we ought to render a verdict. Uh, on yeah, thing. Arthur's so, right. What do you do? Shelf or trash with sneakers, Arthur.
0: I think I'd put it on the shelf. I, I, I do like it. It's the kind of movie I, I really go for. Uh, these sorts of what would now be considered kind of a mid-budget genre piece are really kind of in my wheelhouse and the yeah. thing I really like to seek out and try to find. So, yeah, I, I'd lightly put it on the shelf. All right. What would you say, Dalton?
2: Uh, yeah, you guys have talked me into it. Uh, and not just because I want to find the copy that's got the Priscilla Page commentary. Uh, and not just because I support Cosmo's uh, bloodless coup to overthrow capitalism. Um, I mean... It also makes me want to rewatch Mr. Robot. Yeah. It's a good movie. Uh, I don't know. I kind of had a lot of negative things to say about it, but it's also, I don't know. It's like that movie. What was the, the priest, the saint. Uh, it reminds me of that Val Kilmer movie we did a few months back, but like better, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's got all of that sort of nebulous early nineties, uh, this era of Hollywood hasn't figured itself out yet. Stuff that I kind of like, but it's, it's super interesting. It's using a seventies playbook. Like it, it is a as Arthur said, this movie could have come out twenty years before or twenty years later, and I, I find that aspect of it really compelling. So yeah, I think it's a light shelf for me. All right. Well,
1: I'm also going to say Shelf because it's a fun heist movie with some great analog tech. And I just I just like to see that kind of stuff. It's just visually, to me, interesting. It's cool to see somebody poking at a rotary phone with a soldering iron. Right. So uh, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on uh, this particular film. Um, I think we need to have a conversation with the rest of you all, though, via social media. Arthur, how do we do that?
0: Uh, yeah, you can find us online if you want to tell us uh, our opinions on uh, the Underseen 92 film sneakers from the director we can't remember even though he said his name five times in the last hour uh is incorrect is it phil the phil something the famous phil. director of the sum of all Fears. phil harding hardier phil or hartman robinson phil. phil robinson i got it i got it <laughs> i I'm, I'm confusing his name up with a hyphenated uh, game designer whose name is phil walker harding uh, but this is Phil Alden Robinson. I think you got it. Actually, I, I think, think that was it. it. You did. So it. So I, I keep crossing those two in my head. If you is... think we've egregiously disrespected this director, Phil Alden Robinson, how can the they director have... of Some of All Fears, Phil of Dreams, how can they sneakers. let us? How can they? You let can us find know? us online on Twitter, uh, where we uh, we really advise you not to go uh, because it is accessible. Uh, you can find us there though at Good Trash Media. Uh, you can send long form combat to Good Trash uh, Media at oh, Good God. It's harder
2: than you, you think, isn't it?
0: It is. Uh, and I still have no respect for you. Uh, you can find <laughs> <them>. <laughs> uh, You can send us long-form content at... Trash at at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, though we're not very active there. Uh, you can always uh, like, uh, rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, and, and you can go to our Twitter to find us retweeting uh, our good friends of the show, the, the Will of Randy, uh, The Praise Down, uh, and just the various and sundry uh, other friends of our show that we have.
2: Yeah, Twilight when they start releasing episodes yeah. again, yeah, Bad Girls Die First,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and those first two were like yeah. much more involved with. But shout out over there to the the bad girls that I first. Kara uh, is uh yeah. doing uh, she she's so doing the, a movie. So
2: screenplay. That's cool. That's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it's this is old news by the time this yeah comes it's been like out. three months ago. But it's still cool. Yeah, congrats. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad we. Yeah, thank you very for very rad.
0: That. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. All right, very cool. That's where we're at.
1: Okay, um, let's keep doing the show. Mm. Let's I guess it. we
0: can. Let's do another movie. One more. One more. You used to be very cynical about doing one more, but you're pretty gun ho. I mean, let's,
1: like, let's do. I, I'm, like, I'm feeling good you're right re- now. Rejuvenated.
0: Let's
2: have another week. The hiatus was good for him. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm asking for a week. So well, I'm <laughs> actually uh,
0: due to the nature of this pick, I'm actually going to let Dalton take this one away.
2: Yes. Well, it turns out my wife likes having me out of the house Sundays, uh, <laughs> so she she does a day to herself. Yep. Yeah, she does give us uh, money to our, our Patreon uh, because she wouldn't let me just let her choose movies. I have bad news, Dalton. Yes, not just Sundays. No, it's <laughs> okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, Well, I'll be worrying about whether or not I should have let Dustin officiate my wedding uh, <laughs> after this. Uh, but next week we will be watching Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, uh, a film that is at this point maybe my favorite film of 2021. Uh, it's extremely funny. I like it a lot. Uh, and, and Becca wanted to make us talk about a comedy, uh, and yeah, I'm I couldn't be more thrilled to watch this. It's on Hulu right now. Uh, mm-hmm. you can check it out and get caught up before next week's episode. It's very, one of the best studio, uh, spoiling you know, my review for next week, it's one of the best studio comedies of the last decade, hands down.
0: Not saying much, but I am very excited to check this out. It's a I've been a wanting low bar. to
2: get to it. <laughs> it's a very low bar. Outstanding. So that's what's next. You
1: keep watching, we'll keep talking, we'll see you all next time. <laughs>